the golden era of Facebook is when you could run an ad, you can be a relatively basic ad with not a whole lot of thought, and you probably get a lot of traffic. You might get a lot of leads, and you probably would at the very minimum get a lot of engagement, which give you opportunities to connect with some new people. But we've, we've now entered into the, the space of Facebook where it's pros onlys. And pros only means that if you're not good at what you do and you don't understand the X's and O's of how to use Facebook ads, you're going to waste a lot of money. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice for real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 182 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast, inching closer to 200. It's a number that I'm kind of looking forward to. It'll be fun trying to figure out who that guest might be on episode 200. Uh, and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. It's how we continue to grow. And talk about growing. I I, I feel like our my guest for episode 182 is somebody who I've had the chance to watch grow uh, through you know the magic of the internet over these years. And it's going to be fun to catch up with them and see you know what's coming up, what's new. I'm talking about Jimmy Mackin, one of the founders of Curator, uh, and and we're going to have a, a conversation about a lot of things. And and part of it, unfortunately, is going to involve sports teams in New England. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast. Hey Bill, listen, I'm I'm happy to carry the water for all of Boston sports fans out there, and I'm uh, I'm glad to be uh, guest on number 182. Uh, first off, congratulations on reaching that number. I think a lot of people who have listened to a pod, listened to your podcast since the beginning uh, appreciate the fact that you're staying consistent with it. I know as a fellow podcaster, uh, producing a show for a long period of time over a long you know over a long stretch like this is incredibly difficult. So uh, I'm looking forward to to helping uh, move this thing along and add value. For for your listeners. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Let's let's talk about Boston for a second. I know you live and work in the Boston area. Are you native? Did you grow up up, up there? Yeah, so I'm I'm a native New Englander, uh, born and raised in a small small little town in New Hampshire called Pennardville. I, I think if you don't even know where New Hampshire in the, is on the map, you definitely don't know where Pennardville is. A little blue collar town. And uh, outside of Manchester, New Hampshire, one of our major cities there, um, I'm a one of six kids in my family. Uh, all of us were born during the 80s. You know, with my youngest sister is only a few years younger than I am, two or three years younger than I am. My oldest sister is only about uh, four years older than I am, five years older than I am. So my mother was basically pregnant for a decade. And uh, but my parents, my mother's from, from New Hampshire originally. And my father's from Dorchester, uh, right outside of the city of Boston. Uh, most considered to be part of Boston. So yeah, I've grown up in, grown up in New England my entire life. Um, lived here for most of my life. Had a stint in Florida in your neck of the woods for a little while, but spent most of my life in New England, and it's uh, where I call home and where I love. So I'm just guessing anybody north of Boston, all are Boston fans. There's just no other team they're going to follow, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if they do, they don't come out of hiding. <laughs> so I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not quite sure you'd see them out in public. But yeah, for the most part here, you know, Boston's such an interesting city and in, in this whole New England area is such an interesting place because I think if you're if you're a sports fan in any area across the country, uh, you have the choice of like following one team in your entire year and your insanity is sort of banking on that one team doing a good job. Boston, we, we're so spoiled up here that we have the choice between all these different teams. And what happens is, is that you sort of, you're able to, you know, get your cake and eat it too, because even if you're primarily, you know, your primary team, team you follow and love, even if they're not doing that well, chances are there's going to be another Boston sports team that's, you know, making a run in the playoffs or getting to the World Series or ending up, you know, winning the Stanley Cup. So, you know, I, I think I heard Bill Simmons, who's a, a famous Boston sports writer and uh, runs a uh, podcast and a business called The Ringer. He, he described Boston sports fans as the Lannisters. Oh, of sports fans, <laughs> which I thought was a perfectly apt description of the fact that we never have enough. That's who we are, Boston. We we always want more. What what have we done for you? What have you done for us lately? Is the mindset here? So that's about all the time we have. And uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast, Jimmy. Oh my God. Yeah, the embarrassment of riches. I, I don't. Well, whatever. There's quite a few people in the industry that that call uh you know New England home, and and uh, we do our best to suffer through you know what you obviously have earned because there were some there were some lean times back and when you were a kid there were some tough times 
Yeah, so I heard. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't experienced that, Bill. I was born. I was born in '85, so it's it's been. I I, I the, my it first memories. Yeah, my my first memories of of uh, yeah, basically I've been an adult the entire time during the Tom Brady era. So like I just don't know anything else at this point. Wow. You know, I do remember days of Drew Bledsoe playing, playing, watching as a uh, you know, my younger uh, teenage years. But yeah, it's been uh, we are at the point now with Tom being you know gonna be Tom's gonna be what turning sixty this year. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're 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 at this point where we we do realize the end is coming. Right. Um, but we're gonna we're trying to savor it here as much as we can. I'll just let it go. Um, let's let's get on. Let's get on with something else. Let's talk about. You talked about your high school years. You're a, a, a sophomore, junior in high school. What what was the dream career for Jimmy at that time? Wow. Um, well, my mind. I'm an obsessive person, Bill. I, I think by nature. Anyone who knows me knows me closely. Knows that once I get my kind of mind made up on something, I just I just can't let it go. It consumes me. And whereas that makes me really effective in some areas, it can also uh, force me to sort of be in a position where I miss big opportunities because of my, because of that personality trait. And when I was in high school, I certainly wasn't thinking about work. I certainly wasn't thinking about career. At the time, I was actually uh, I was an amateur boxer in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, and uh, training. You know, I'd get up at four or five in the morning, and I'd run before school, and I'd I'd go to school, and I would I'd leave school early, and I would go to the gym, and I'd go to the boxing gym. And if you've ever been around a boxing gym, it's full of a bunch of misfits. It's a full of a bunch of delinquents and uh, and people who have too much energy and don't really know how to how to basically use it. So it was a, it was a good area for me to sort of learn discipline. And what happened during my high school years is that that obsession sort of was how I think I developed uh, the the work ethic that I was able to sort of apply uh, later in life after I uh, after I was able to uh, leave school. But what 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 was happening in high school for me? Bill was it was just really all about uh, sports at the time, and that was a main main focus for me. That being said, one thing was really interesting that was happening during my high school years, which was, and this was probably a little bit more in in, in middle school. Uh, my father's a software engineer, uh, runs a division at Oracle now, and uh, he, you know we were one of the first people back in ninety two ninety three to get a, uh, to get internet and in New Hampshire. We might have been yeah we might have been the first people in New Hampshire to get internet, right? Back at back at that point. Sure. So I, I always was I always had this sort of part of me, Bill, that was interested in technology. Was and I and I saw the dot com boom and I lived through it as my my family lived through that. You know, Oracle stock skyrocketed and then they crashed, right? So I was able to sort of follow along. It was just a really kind of pivotal point. So it was this really interesting point where even though I was I had an obsession with sports at the time, I was very much like that technology was in technology and software and, and, and business was like part of my life. It, but, it, but, it, but vicariously through my father, if that makes sense. Sure. No, it makes perfect sense. I, I never knew about the boxing part. I, I, I can't even imagine the, the, uh, the, the, the energy, the ability to, to force yourself to get up early, to do all those things you had to do. The, uh, just the, it makes sense now. Perfect sense. Your work ethic combined with your dad's career. Yeah. It, it, it turned out to, uh, we got, which we got, we got you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that that's that's it. And just to be clear, for those of you who are listening right now, uh, I didn't I, I wasn't a contender. I didn't I didn't make it. I didn't go pro. I, I don't I was care. not I, I was not particularly particularly good at boxing, but I, but I was just so thick headed and obsessive that I, you know ended up being something I really love to do wow. at this point. That's great. So school's done. What do you do? What's your first job? Well, I, I, I went to uh, – many people don't know this, but I um, my only degree is in high school. I didn't get a okay. college degree. All right. I fell out of college after my first year. I don't, I don't think I even technically went to college, but I was at the University of New Hampshire, and uh, I, I basically was just not interested. It was sort of felt like an extension of high school to me. So I, I actually started my first business out of, out of uh, college. And and I hope Chris Smith doesn't listen to this webinar because he's going to make fun of me as I tell the story. But I'm going to tell it anyways. Okay, Chris Smith, uh, my partner, curator, also the co-host of the uh, podcast we put on. Um, we started this business called NH9, and it was the Yelp before Yelp existed. And the basic idea, Bill, was we wanted to help put menus online for these New Hampshire restaurants. Again, New Hampshire was. <laughs> It's hard for people to me to describe it, but we were in the dark ages. This is not Silicon Valley. This is not New York City. New, New Hampshire is not an area that had really a lot of web presence or activity for most local businesses. So what we did is we built a website, and Bill, I would go around driving in my car and I'd go into a restaurant, 
and I'd have my digital camera with me and I'd, and I'd have my little notebook and I'd say to the, uh, to the owner of the restaurant, my name is Jimmy Mackin, and I run a, uh, a website called NH Dine. And oftentimes, I'd have to describe what a website was. <laughs> and uh, and then, then I'd say, I want to put your menu online. And we would do it for free. And what would happen is uh, they would be very skeptical because most of the restaurant owners are skeptical of any person walking in offering something for free. But then they would allow me to take a photo of their of their menu, and we would put it online. And um, so that was the first business. That was my wow. first uh, uh, sort of test of being an entrepreneur was was uh you know actually building a website to to help put menus online there's no crescendo to the story uh <laughs> i could tell you i i could tell the listeners how the business failed um but yeah it was uh it was certainly a uh, it was certainly an amazing experience that i don't think I, I don't think it like gave me a lot of insight that helps me today but it was certainly a lesson that at the time felt like you know, you can do anything you want to do. There, you don't have to ask people for permission. And that maybe is the one driving characteristic of good entrepreneurs is they don't wait. I, I kind of connect with you somewhere, I'm going to guess right around 2000, maybe it's 10, 11, I, mm-hmm. because you were doing a whole lot of stuff with Facebook. And there were a lot of realtors. You had a big group going, you were doing all kinds of things. Talk about how that came about, how you started that kind of, uh, that part of your career. So I was doing some digital marketing, building landing pages, um, right around the time that you you and I connected originally. And what 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 was happening? It was I got actually a uh, I saw a posting on Craigslist. I, you know, I was pretty destitute at the time, not making a whole lot of money, um, not really having any really real prospects, and I was more or less an unhirable person. There's just like my resume, my history, my school. Like there was nothing about you that would say, "Wow, this guy is something special." So, so you, you know, you'd have to do odd jobs as a contractor. And so I ended up getting a job in Stoughton, Massachusetts to, to work at a real estate company, Remax at the time. And, uh, I was getting paid $400 a week, uh, living in Boston, which is, is, is the reason I had a one, you know, an apart, uh, a roommate in a, in a tiny little one, one bedroom apartment, but being paid $400 a week to, to help this business you know, market their business, market their real estate company online. So I, I knew nothing about real estate. I, I had no idea, you know, how, how, what the process was, how it worked. I had no idea how they even attracted clients. What, what I learned really quickly though, is that uh, even though I, I was incredibly ignorant about marketing and, and I was incredibly ignorant about real estate, I found that they were also equally ignorant about technology. And they were also ignorant about how to really market themselves online. So it was sort of this interesting hybrid where my first job in real estate became like, I didn't know anything about that area and that space, um, but they didn't really know anything about my area or my space. Right. So what what was, you know, there's somebody I, I should give a shout out to. Um, I consider her to be a mentor. Maybe I, you probably are running in the same networks, Bill. A woman by the name of Linda Davis, who's mm-hmm. uh, a Remax agent and uh and she came to our office and she gave a session on Facebook. This is probably my first month at this office. And I was a consultant at the time. So she came in and, and she and she she gave a session on Facebook marketing. And I don't think people in the audience at that day appreciated what she was trying to do. But Linda was the person who gave me my master's degree in real estate. And she was the one who basically was able to, within a one-hour presentation, provide with me with the insight what it's like to really sell real estate and the challenges that you're facing and how you can translate that into your digital marketing. So after that meeting, you know, her and I connected and we clicked. And um, especially in the early days, I really leaned on her to understand this industry. You know, I never sold real estate and I never, you know, I never showed a house. I never wrote a contract. So how can someone who's never done the job be someone who can coach other people on how to do the job? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question is quite simply find great mentors, find people that who have done it, who you can learn from. And then, you know, from your, from, for, for me, Bill, it's, it's about, okay, find the parallels behind what it means to really grow a business and be effective and translate those into the real estate space. So I was very lucky, Bill, in that space. I got the job at that Remax. I met Linda Davis. And from there, you know, it, it just opened up um, a countless amount of opportunities after that. I go back with Linda Davis. Uh, we're both like Evernote freaks, so, so we we share some groups on Facebook about uh, about that topic. So yeah, she's a great lady. That's great. I love that story. You really take face this 
Facebook thing seriously, right? You mm-hmm. really, what, what time frame are we talking about here where you had that group running and you were really helping a lot of people figure out how to use it? Yeah, so the, we, we started the tech support group uh, in 2011, it might have been, okay. probably seven, eight years ago now. Um, I think the group, as of, as of my last check, probably has like 15,000, 20,000 members. People have to realize who are listening right now in 2019 that at the time, and this is probably what has defined uh, my career and my partnership with Chris and what we've done with the curator, is we were trying to yell from the mountaintops that the world is going to change. And whereas this becomes so obvious now that Instagram and Facebook and email marketing, content creation and video are all important. And in fact, you're laughed out of the room if you don't have a digital marketing strategy. At the time, even in 2011, there was still a majority of the space, the coaches, the gurus, the mentors were basically telling the industry, don't pay attention to this cute little idea called Facebook. Right. But there's people like you and people like Linda Davis who who were the ones who were bridging that gap, bridging the gap between sort of the traditional methods of marketing and, and, and growth and realizing that, okay, there is a pathway here to use these new technologies to help you achieve uh, you know something really special. So uh, at that time, Bill 2011, when we started the group, that was that was absolutely a moment where all of a sudden, uh, you know, if you guys want to join the group, it's the tech support group for real estate agents. It became really obvious that everybody was looking for ways to make the transition from a sort of analog business to a digital business. Right. And you know, if you if you go in that group into the beginning of that group, there's just a, there's been probably Bill, geez, maybe three, 400,000 conversations that have happened about real estate technology over the last seven years, um, just because we had the simple idea that, you know, we should connect people who are interested in the, this idea of using technology to grow their business. I got to talk about you and Chris. I hope neither one of you are upset that you're not really Jimmy Mackin and Chris Smith now. It's just kind of Jimmy and Chris. You, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've heard that many times, <laughs> Chris and Jimmy, Jimmy and Chris, uh, because you guys connected and, uh, and I want to know, first of all, how'd you meet Chris? How did that happen? And I, I'm sure it, uh, the very first conversation was online, but then sure. let's talk about the, the launch of Curator in 2013, yeah. uh, the dynamic between the two of you. You know, you're bringing Water Cooler back. It's up now. Uh, but the original mm-hmm. Water Cooler was hilarious because you, you two have a, a dynamic between you. You're a little different. I want you to talk about that. Give me that whole meeting Chris, the Curator, the Water Cooler talk. Well, well, first off, uh, there's no one in the world who's a bigger Chris Smith fan than Jimmy Mackin. I think that the the uh, core uh, tenets of a relationship is built on really respect. Is the fact that uh, a lot of people look at Chris on the outside and they see this, you know, sales guy who who says what's on his mind, who's very unapologetic about it, and he can rub people the wrong way. Uh, but what I know, because I've known him for such a long time, and we we've gone through a lot of, a lot together. And we're spending our, you know, our professional lives here, the critical moments, of professional lives together, trying to build something really special. Um, is that it's very rare in business you're able to connect with someone who's willing to work as hard as you are, who's willing to to help challenge you and make you better at what you do, and who's willing to be as ambitious as you are. And, and and that's what Chris and I are able to bond over. It is our ambition. It is our is our desire to, to do something really special. And it is the fact that we're willing to have those conversations where we're able to, we're willing to sort of give each other critical feedback and be tough with the understanding that we're trying to do something really special. And it's going to be hard for us to accomplish this. So when him and I originally met, we were in this position where I was blogging on this MLSapp.com blog and he was blogging for Tech Savvy Agent, and he was able to uh, help me really launch my career by getting me on the Agent Reboot Tour. So him and I went around the country with people like Darren Persinger and Katie Lance and Seth Price and you know a handful of other people. Uh, you know this is when the Geeky Girls were out, uh, Lisa, mm-hmm. uh, Archer, and uh, Lori. And it was what was crazy about it is that he got me on tour, and we it was just like. It's hard to describe. I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but it was just, it was just, I, I, I found somebody that I was just saying, okay, like there, there's an opportunity and there's a window and there's something we can do here that's bigger than both of us. And, and listen, he, he's the one who took the risk, not me. Again, I'm living in Boston. 
not making a whole lot of money as a consultant. This guy's got a you know hundred thousand dollar a year cushy job. So I can't imagine what it was like to just him to have a conversation with his wife. Hey, I'm going to leave my job that's paying me one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and all this notoriety to start this business with this kid. Because I was a kid at the time, right? I was mid twenties. I'm 33 now, uh, and uh, I can't imagine the conversation he was having with his wife Anna at the time to describe this. But uh, I think he knew what I knew at the time, which is that you know we got an opportunity to do something special. So the water cooler you mentioned, the water cooler bill, uh, the water cooler was the example of Chris and I growing up on the air as business people. You know, he, listen, we're we're both adults. He he had he had two kids at the time. I, I have my first uh, coming this uh, this May. Like he was an adult, right? But like you saw us grow up as business professionals and entrepreneurs on the water cooler, and you saw us us evolve through that. And that was um that was something really special for us to sort of go back and reflect on. But to be clear, we're we're not like in that nostalgic phase at this point. Uh, right. We're we're you know we're very much have our foot in the gas here because you know we still see that opportunity. Let's talk about Curator. Originally, Curator had a different purpose. Let's talk about uh, that. Something really big happened right as you launched Curator, and you had to have a pivot. Can you can you describe that to the audience? Well, a few things, man. This is so you talk about a shit show. So we have this idea that we're going to basically launch a search engine for real estate conversations, which we pull down all the conversations from the group I mentioned earlier, tech support group, the what should I spend my money on group, uh, the real estate raise the bar group. And we are centralizing all these conversations to make them readily available to search on a website. So any real estate agent could go to the website and say, hey, What's the best CRM? Type in CRM and they would surface conversations that were very hard to find at the time from other agents who were discussing the same topic. Very simple idea. We built the set website along with the help of Seth Price and we built the website. And then what ended up happening is the day in which I was going on stage as the new kids on the block at Inman, uh, that day uh, was when Facebook launched their graph search. And the graph search was more or less the same thing, not exactly, but it was pretty much close enough where it was like, okay, well, why does this thing exist? So um, there's a wonderful book all your readers should listen to called The Lean Startup. And one of the things they talk about in the, con in the book, The Lean Startup, is the pivot, which is making an adjustment to your business. And they call it a change in your business model, not a change in strategy. And I think that's probably an accurate description of what we were going through with the, uh, with the curator's launch is that we knew we wanted to monetize Curator by working with agents to help them market their businesses online. It just accelerated our plans pretty dramatically. And if, I'm, if I want to be real with the listeners who are tuning in right now, in business, when something like this happens, you, you know, I, there's a wonderful interview with Jerry Colonna, Bill, that he, he talks with um, Jason Calacanis, who runs this, this podcast called This Week in Startups. And Jerry Colonna, you guys should all watch this. It's like uh, the six mistakes of starting a company or six. Uh, if you just Google Jerry Colonna and This Week in Startups, you'll find the, art, the, the post. But he talks about this idea of sticking your head in the mouth of the demon. And the concept is really simple, is that you have to basically face your biggest fears as you were experiencing any type of trials and tribulations as an entrepreneur. Otherwise, you are completely, completely incapable of making decisions to help you get out of it. And at the time, we were like, all right, well, Facebook basically, Zuckerberg just more or less, you know, cannibalized our entire strategy. So now we got to move on to what we ultimately want to do. And uh, and that was the launch of Cure. That was the unceremonious launch of Curator was uh, was at that moment. One, one other thing, Bill, before you, you move on here, I, I think if you're in real estate right now and you're listening to this podcast, Bill, I think a lot of people, put themselves in a position where they're obsessing over like the launch. Maybe they're working on a new team and they're going to launch their team. Maybe they just redesigned their logo. Maybe they just going to go to a website. They're going to launch. Maybe they just joined a new brokerage and they just got, you know, uh, they're with compass now or they're with EXP or they're with Keller Williams or whatever the event is. What happens is, is everyone is obsessing over that launch and no one's thinking about day two. What happens next? And you have to, as an entrepreneur, be prepared to realize that day two, day three, day four, day five, those are far more important than launch because no one really gives a shit that you have a new website or your new brand. Like it's a nice thing that happened, but because of the amount of information that's being shared is that it's, it's not really going to resonate or have any type of long lasting impact. And that's the opportunity you have as an entrepreneur is when you have a situation like we had at Curator where 
know, something that you could not control impacts the trajectory that you're going down as a business, you got to move on and then you got to focus on doing the work. And, and as opposed to what I think a lot of people do is they get stuck in that kind of waiting game where they sit around and hope that like, okay, well, do we got to relaunch this thing? Let's go back in the lab. Let's go and try to figure this thing out. Let's spend a few weeks discussing this. Like at a certain point, you got to do the work. And, and that's what Chris and I have always been about, especially with curators. We've been about the work. And sometimes that's public with a water cooler. And, and a lot of it, though, is very much behind the scenes with clients. I would guess um, you've had this conversation that you just shared with us with a, a few young entrepreneurs <laughs> recently. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, people, you know, let me let me be clear about something, because I didn't I didn't find this out to recently, Bill, but I'm a millennial. I, I thought I thought I thought millennials were people born after 2000. This is how this is this is the I maybe the value of going to school for everyone who's listening here. Maybe you're right. I thought, I, I thought millennial like so I never associated with this. So I used to make fun of millennials until I found out I, I found out I was one. But you know I saw this millennial talk about how hard it is to launch a business. In fact, they said uh, it is harder today to be in business than it was in any time in American history. And I thought to myself, this person has no understanding of history or or context around what people have. My grandfather was in World War II. He lived through the Great Depression. You know, he was around during the Dust Bowl. Like, are you telling me it's harder to start a business today than than after those events? Right. Like that type of self-awareness doesn't really exist right now for for my generation. And they like to point fingers. I won't go on a rant here, Bill. I, no worries. Maybe, okay. Rant on. I'm, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I think that we like to point fingers at all the reasons why it's hard to do the job. Let me explain to every entrepreneur out there who's listening right now. Curators are companies, the, one of the fastest growing companies in the country. And along the way, we've gone through many, many trials and tribulations. And the one thing that we keep saying to ourselves every single time we something feels like it should have gone a different way or we're not growing as fast as we want to or we have a client who's upset about something and it didn't turn out the way it should have turned out or we make a misstep from a strategy perspective. I remind the team here every day it's supposed to be hard. If you're trying to do something special and trying to build something and trying to you're trying to be proud of the work you're doing, it's supposed to be hard. And if you just accept that to be the case, then you stop waiting for things to get easier and you stop waiting for someone to give something to you to make it easier for you to do your job. Like you just accept the fact that it's supposed to be hard. You grind your teeth a little bit more and you get to work. And I think what happens when we talk about this with younger entrepreneurs, and especially in the real estate space, you know, we work with that. We Chris and I were out in San Francisco recently. It was the, um, I think it was a Realogy event. Um, it might have been NAR, excuse me. Todd Carpenter invited us to this event for NAR. Mm-hmm. And it was all the um, the uh, young businesses who were starting. And they were yeah, like, like their learning center, tech incubator. I don't have the right name, but I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I had the word incubator in it, right? And 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 when and, and, and smart people doing some, some working really hard to accomplish their goals. And, but it was really obvious to me as I was sitting down with them, yes, I was like, I, I, I just could see the ones that were going to have a chance of being successful, not guaranteed, but have a chance of being successful. Those individuals are the ones that realize that like, it's not going to happen quickly. You are not going to be slack. You are not going to have this hyper growth where you're going to go from one to $20 million in one year. And, and that's true for any business for that matter. It's going to take longer than you want it to be. It's going to be harder than you want it to be. You're going to have to deal with countless little issues and missteps, but like you can't lose your enthusiasm through that process just because it's hard. And I think that's what, uh, that's the thing that I've noticed when I've been able to interact with really successful entrepreneurs that I look, look at like mentors, uh, both online and offline, like they're able to approach the day every day with a sense of enthusiasm and excitement and energy they, they, they act and operate with a sense of urgency, but they're also patient. So they're patiently urgent. And that's, yep. a, that's a characteristic that's, that you got to have if, you're, if you want to be successful in this space. The, everything you described there for these you know, entrepreneurs outside of the real estate space absolutely applies to that realtor trying to build what they're trying to build, right? You have to mm-hmm. do the same thing. Put in the hard work, be uh, patiently urgent, you know, and do all those same things. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. you bring up a really interesting point about the, tra- the, 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 co- the correlations between a startup and a real estate company. So it is harder to be a real estate agent or run a team or, or run a brokerage than it is to be a startup. And, and what I mean by that is a startup has the ability to build up recurring revenue. 
So, to, you know, tomorrow when I wake up, Curator in the month of March is going to make over a million dollars, right? It's just it, without a doubt, we will make over a million dollars. I don't, we, you know, we can go up and down on that number, right? But it's going to be over a million dollars next month we'll make in revenue. Okay. That's because we have a recurring business model where there's a certain percentage of our, of our revenue is guaranteed because we have clients who pay us on a monthly basis. In real estate, every month you're starting at zero. Right. And that, so that is very difficult. So one of the things that we coach our clients on is this idea uh, to avoid this the situation where it happens where when they're they're marketing their business. So if you have no business bill, if you have no book of business right now, you spend the vast majority of your time focusing on marketing and selling. And then what happens is once you start to sell and start to go on appointments and get deals, signing listing agreements, working with buyers, what's the first thing you stop doing? Marketing. Every time. Every time. And then so 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 you have these ebbs and flows uh, in your business that become that that like so you so everyone in this call right now, if we're being real, Bill, there are people listening to this to this podcast who are 30 days away from going out of business. Yeah. And you got people out here who, who and these people might be making last year they might have made a half a million dollars a year, and they're 30 days from going out of business. So I think when you think you when you were just talking there, Bill, it just made me think about this idea, like uh, the correlation between a startup and a and a and a, um, and a real estate company. You have to put yourself in a position where you have this growth first menta- mentality, and it's not for the sake of growth; it's a sake for the sake of survival, and the sake of building a moat around your business. So if you're not marketing every day, you're not selling every day, you're not servicing every day. What are you doing? And that's the challenge. There's a wonderful book uh, called The E-Myth. They talk about this idea. Like they call it um, the whirlwind, which is all the other shit you have to deal with in your business that's unrelated to those three activities. And it's a great a great de- description because the whirlwind can suck up, Bill, like 80, 90% of your day. You know, before this interview, I'm talking – Having a conversation with our legal department, talking to the HR team earlier this morning, you know, having to deal with some, you know, compliance issues and things of that nature. Like none of those things are marketing, none of those things are selling, none of those things are servicing, none of those things really help our customers. So you have to figure out like how do I isolate that stuff, put it in a bottle, so I can focus my energy and my time and my effort on the things that actually help grow the business. And that's the challenge every real estate agent has to embrace, every team, every broker has to embrace if they're gonna be successful is having that growth first mentality that doesn't get sucked into the whirlwind because the whirlwind is not going to keep you in business. It's going to put you out of business. I'm going to take this back to Facebook for a little bit because mm-hmm. I, I'm going to, you know, I don't throw this word around very often, but I'm going to call you a Facebook expert, a Facebook ads expert. A f- mm-hmm. I mean, no matter what part of Facebook I want to talk about, you have the answers, you have the knowledge, you've done the the deep dive research, you have connections at Facebook. So I let's talk about, we'll call it some of the biggest changes over the years. Maybe there's one or two key things that required, you know, you rethinking some of the strategies and tactics that Curator uses for its clients. Yeah. And also let's let's go ahead and, I, you know, I, I have people ask me all day long, can you show me how to create a Facebook ad? I said, sure, I can show you mechanically how to create a Facebook ad. Does that mean you should be creating this Facebook ad? Um, more than likely, absolutely not. So I want you to talk about that that part of the game where people think they can just do this, that it's a pretty simple process. Yeah, so uh, we used to refer to the previous few years as the golden era of Facebook. The golden era of Facebook is when you could run an ad, you can be a relatively basic ad with not a whole lot of thought, and you probably get a lot of traffic. You might get a lot of leads, and you probably would at the very minimum get a lot of engagement, which give you opportunities to connect with some new people. But we've, we've now entered into the, the space of Facebook where it's pros only. And pros only means that if you're not good at what you do and you don't understand the X's and O's of how to use Facebook ads, you're going to waste a lot of money. And the challenge is, is that a lot of people think that they can just sort of throw an ad up there, as you described, Bill, perfectly, which is they can throw an ad up there, they can put a budget behind it, spend five bucks. And if it doesn't work, they throw their hands up in frustration. Well, it didn't work. What, what that really means is that you're not really good at marketing. Because if you're going to be good at Facebook ads, you got to be good at marketing. And what it means to be good at marketing, it means you got to be good at design, copywriting. You got to be good at writing, writing content, creating angles, building landing pages, building funnels, building action plans, setting up retargeting campaigns, deciding and analyzing the performance of a campaign based on the audience and the budget. Like you have to be good at marketing to be able to be good at Facebook. Facebook is simply a channel, an extension of an overall marketing campaign. So one common mistake, and this is probably one of the first ones that I see people make. As they think about Facebook as the end, not the beginning. 
And I'll explain what I mean. In the sense that if you're going to run a campaign, it's going to start with what is your deliverable? So I'm going to walk everyone through this process, Bill, and and, and, and just interrupt me if you want to go deeper on any one of these topics. Okay. You have to start with the, the deliverable. Get in the mind of the consumer. And what you're trying to do here, Bill, is you're trying to understand what is the conversation that's already happening in their mind that I can begin to join. So you're saying, what is a deliverable? What's the thing I can add value? What's the thing that's going to help, you know, spark their interest, maybe educate them, maybe um, get them to think about something differently. Otherwise, something they've been thinking about already that maybe isn't as clear. So you have to understand what that thing is going to be. And then you have to obviously be very specific about who your audience is. And this is where relevancy really matters. The four most important words in marketing, the best for me. That's what every consumer cares about. What's the best? There's there's a wonderful site called Think with Google that everyone here should write down and check out after today's call. People are research obsessed, Bill. So what are the best things for me? So you first you're understanding what your deliverable is, and you're certainly matching that with what your audience is. Who are you targeting? So that's going to affect the copy you write. It's going to affect the angle you're going to use. Then when it comes to the actual promotion itself, you have to make sure you have a destination in mind. So whether you're using like multiple photographs or you're using a video or you're just using a straight link click on Facebook, you're going to say, okay, once someone sees this ad and clicks on it, what happens next? And that's typically where a landing page comes into play. And that landing page, you want to mirror. You want to have the sort of like the ad itself reinforces what you see on the landing page. You don't want to be this sort of like black and white contrast where they see an ad about getting their home value and they come to the landing page and they're on the homepage of your website. So that you need to have a, a, a this continuity, this through line that runs through your entire campaign. So you're deciding what your deliverable is. You're defining who your audience is. You're then creating the ad copy and the angle, and you're de- deciding what the actual call to action is going to be. And then they get to the landing page, and that's when you're making the offer. At which point, once you make the offer, then once they fill that information out, now you have a massive opportunity to say, here's what happens next. The single most underutilized tool on any website right now, Bill, is the confirmation page. Hmm. That is the page in which someone fills out after they give you their information. Bill, what does everybody say on their confirmation page? When you fill out a form, what what is the most common thing you see? There's nothing there after you hit submit. It just goes away and I just wait. I guess I'm waiting for someone to reach out. I don't know. Yeah. Is that insane? Right? Like think think about the think about that for a second. You 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 got you crazy. This deliverable, you target the audience, they saw the ad, they clicked on the ad, they went to the landing page, and you got them to fill the information out. And then you and then you just said, Okay, that, that's it. <laughs> that's and it. that so so the confirmation page is typically, you know, thank you for being in touch. Thanks for thanks for reaching out. We'll be in touch. That's right. sort of generally what people say. Right. Now, so this is when you have to start saying to yourself, Bill, what happens next? So this is when you provide clear instructions to the consumer. Hey, thanks for filling us information. We're going to be sending you over the information you requested. In the meantime, here's what we want you to do. Check out our reviews page. Read about our stories. Go back to our blog. Check out some other articles that you might find helpful. Check out this other thing that we have available that would sort of complement what you're trying to learn more about. And then what happens next is the follow-up that you provide is personalized based on what they actually requested information for. So this is going to make sense as we pull this all together, Bill. Yep. You see how small the Facebook ad is in all of this. It's just one piece. It's just one part of the campaign. So people need to start stop thinking about ads and posts and stories, and they need to start thinking about campaigns and journeys because that's what you're trying to create. And this is what the professional marketers are doing. It's what we do at Curator is we focus on creating these campaigns and these journeys because what you want to do is take someone who has no idea who you are, has no idea what makes you special, unique, and why they should hire you, and you want to figure out a way through a marketing campaign to educate them, to raise awareness that you exist, to build trust, and to give yourself an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with them when they pick up the phone or when you pick up the phone and call them. So if you're thinking about marketing yourself on Facebook, I need you guys to stop thinking about this idea of what's the perfect language you use in a post. And I need you to start thinking about what's the campaign, what's the journey I want to take my consumer through as a way to provide value, educate them, and then give myself the opportunity to have a conversation. Let me take you one step further, and that's going to be you've done. So Curator delivers exactly what was promised. Um, the, the ad was targeted the right place. It was tested, A-B tested. Everything works. It's bringing the traffic in. How hard do you have to work with clients at times to get them to do what I feel is the hardest part for them, which is picking up the phone, making those calls, and f- following up? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you're 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 absolutely right to say that this is the hardest part of any type of marketing and sales strategy is this idea of uh, conversion, right? Uh, Chris wrote the book called The Conversion Code, and in that book, he gave everyone a blueprint of exactly how to approach a sales call. And in that book, he walks through the different steps that you would need to take to uh, turn a cold prospect or a warm prospect into a into a uh, appointment. The challenge is, 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 is it really this? You do not want your salespeople doing your marketer's job. And oftentimes, if you're listening to this podcast right now, and you, when you call leads up and they have no idea who you are, that's a marketing problem. That's not a sales problem. If you call lead up and they're ignoring you, that's a marketing problem, not a sales problem. And this is the reason why, Bill, you can't trick and trap consumers into basically trying to do business with you. Just popping up a form on the website, uh, you know, creating an account to unlock and view listings, that's the beginning of the process. Great businesses understand that you've got to build a brand, and that brand is an association in the mind of the consumer that you stand for something. So, Bill, when I say things like the word Volvo… Just right off the cuff, what do you think about when I say Volvo? Safe, strong, you know, real secure. Okay, that's yeah. not a mistake, guys. Nope. For those nope. of you listening, nope. they spent billions of dollars trying to basically condition Bill's brain and my brain to basically associate Volvo with safety. They were the first company to introduce the three point uh, the three point seatbelt. Well, well before the government issued this as a mandate, everyone else, Bill, you wouldn't know this because you're a little older than I am. You have to used to have the seatbelt across across your lap. There well, was no three. No, there were no seatbelts at one point in my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, that, so think about that for a second, right? There's, so they were the first people to introduce that. So their brand was fulfilling upon that promise. But when you think of the word Volvo, you think of safety. When you think of the word Patagonia, anybody who's, who ever owns a Patagonia jacket, right? Bill, you're down there in Florida, so you guys don't, don't have jackets, but <laughs> In the event that you bought a Patagonia jacket, you realize if you rip that jacket, what happens? I get a new one. Yeah. You get a new Absolutely. one. Yep. No questions asked. So it, so going back to your question about – because I'm going to answer your question about conversion. If you have a conversion problem, chances are you have a marketing problem. So let's not confuse those two things. So you got to go back to the basics and realize, do I have a marketing problem or a sales problem? If you don't, if your people aren't making the calls, if they're not hitting the phones, if they're not reaching out multiple times, if they're not doing what Chris talks about in the conversion code, call quickly, call often, you know, have a game plan when you pick up the phone to build trust, to dig deep, to, uh, you know, overcome objections and then to do all the trial close and the slot close and, and all that. Like if you, if you, if you are not doing the basics as it relates to that, well, you got a sales problem. But if people are just flat out ignoring you, you've got a marketing problem. So here's what we do at Curator that's that's helped our clients a lot is we bridge that gap. We call them conversation starters. And the idea is very simple. If I create a marketing campaign, Bill, and let's say I sent you an article about, uh, let's say I sent you an article today about can you really afford to sell your home this spring? So that's the subject line of the email, and I have an article that's written about selling your home this spring, and you know what it's gonna what it's gonna be like to sell your home, and then are you gonna be able to afford to buy a new one because home values are on the rise? You know what's your mortgage rate on the old house versus the new the, the, the new mortgage versus the old mortgage? So we have this article. Well, what you're gonna want to do is rather than pick up the phone, and then use your generic real estate script written by some coach 10 years ago, you're going to personalize the script based off of the piece of content or the marketing campaign they're responding to. And that's what we call a conversation starter. And the point of the first phone call is to schedule the second phone call. So Bill, if I were to call you up today, my goal would not be to interrupt you in the middle of a day on a Friday at five o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey, Bill, you got 15 minutes to chat about this thing that I want to talk about. My goal of the first call is to say, hey, Bill, I know you re- – hey, Bill, my name is Jimmy. I'm calling with Remax. Uh, you reached out uh, on our website about a week ago. Uh, I saw you recently had checked out an article about selling your home. The reason I'm, the reason I'm reaching out is because most people were thinking about selling their home. The first thing they want to do is figure out how much equity they have in their home. You know, Is that something that you have actually had thought about, or is it something that you, you're not really interested in at this point? Like you can ask a question, and gen- generally you wouldn't want to ask a question that has a no, but like you, you want to basically – Say something you want to introduce yourself, state a, a fact that cannot be ignored, and ask a simple question. And if you can do those three things, then what you can do is then you can turn the corner to make the promise bill where you say, okay, listen, I know you're busy. I'm going to do a little bit of research for you, and I'm going to call you back in about 30 minutes to go over the information I'm gathering that's going to provide value. And now when you call them back in 30 minutes, A, they're expecting it, and B, they see that you're a person who makes a promise and keeps a promise, which turns you from a stranger into a professional. So 
going back to your question, Bill, I, I'm come full, full circle on this. If you're trying to improve your lead conversion rate, you have to first address your marketing challenges. But then the second thing you have to do is realize that you should follow up with people who are engaging with your marketing as opposed to simply a cold list of prospects. Chris calls it behavior-based follow-up. If someone opens up an email, they click on your website, they interact with a Facebook ad, this is people showing behavior and intent. And you should not spend your time calling people who have not shown intent. Because otherwise, what you're doing is you're cold calling. And, and Bill, I can tell you right now, I don't care what anyone says. Like That's a horrible way to run your business and, and your life is to simply call people, interrupt them, and, and annoy them and doing business with you. And there's a better way is my point. Is there anything curators working on that uh, you can share with us? Maybe coming just over the horizon? Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, I can't get myself in trouble. I promise. Yeah. Be careful team. here. I, I don't want to get. I don't want to get you in trouble. You know what the problem is, Bill, is that I get myself in trouble here because I, I talk about things before they're live and and uh, ends up. You know, we got uh, almost eighty employees here, at curator, and uh, and it, it, when it's just me and Chris, it was fine. But with now <laughs> that when I my when I say something, like the ripple effect is pretty profound at times. So he, he, here's what I will say: is that we just recently hired. Um, a new director of product, Nate Lacey, who works for HubSpot prior to working for uh, mm. Curator. Okay. And you know, one of the things that we're absolutely committed to is that we feel a curator that we are uh, we are best in class at marketing. It's what we do. It's what Chris and I live and breathe. We are a marketing agency for agents, and 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 that has been something that's been the driving force. So we feel because of our, our our knowledge and our connection and our research and our data and our community and the amazing people we've surrounded ourselves with, we feel like we've got the best ideas out there to help our clients grow their business. And Curator has founded on this idea that um, we we can help you grow your business and take and in, in, in execute innovative ideas to help you stand out. What makes you special? What makes you unique? Why should someone should hire you? There's there's a reason why people who win the Emin Award, most innovative agents, are oftentimes curator clients. Veronica, Amy Younggren, Judy Weiniger winning awards for Bomb Bomb. Like these are curator clients because we attract these types of individuals. So I say that because you know one of the things that we are making massive investments in is our technology platform. And the the secret sauce of curator. And this is the thing that has always made us special and has always attracted our clients is something called Curator Brain. And the way Curator Brain works is that every uh, Facebook ad and every email that every single Curator client sends and creates, which, by the way, is now roughly 250,000, hmm. every Curator client has access to those campaigns. And we use a tool called Curator Brain to surface the best emails and the best ads. And what's fascinating about that, Bill, is that when you start to look at the trends, the best performing campaigns, uh, the ones that generate the the, the most results, um, they change over time. They're not constant. So what works today is not going to work tomorrow. And what's not going to work tomorrow is not probably not going to work three months from now. What we do know is that brain is going to tell us what actually works. And so with 250,000 ads and emails, we're able to surface, hey, this person, Nat Ferguson, sent this email, and they got a 65% open rate. Every curator client across our entire client base can see that. So when you think about what's on the, on the roadmap for curator and where we're going, our goal is to identify the best performing campaigns on Insta, on your website, on Facebook, on YouTube on email, and then to surface those ideas in such a way where it helps our clients become world-class marketers. Because if you're great at marketing, everything else gets easier, Bill. Jimmy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up here with the same question I've asked every previous guest. And so we'll get your take on this, uh, this now. And that is, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? I'm going to take a breath to answer that question, Bill, because I'm just thinking about that. And I think... Um, The one bit of advice I would give any agent in this space is to lead with revenue. And what I mean by that is that it's going to take you a long time to fulfill the larger vision you have about dominating your market, having a large team, selling you know, $10 million, $50 million, $100 million in real estate. It takes a long time to fulfill upon that vision. Revenue, profit is your oxygen. And if you don't have that mindset from the beginning, you're never going to have enough time to be able to achieve that larger vision. 
So sometimes, Bill, you have to make decisions in the short term that ultimately help you in the long term. And those short term decisions and those and those things you've got to do go into open houses, knocking on doors, you know, calling cold calling FISBOs and expires. Those short term term decisions are, are, are should be fuel to achieving a longer term scalable business. And what a lot of agents who are starting off in this business do is they get stuck in one or two buckets. Either they get stuck in the bucket where they get too idealistic. They think they can just start a blog, start a YouTube channel, start a Facebook page, and then all of a sudden that's going to take care of everything. And they don't think about the short-term revenue. They focus on building the brand, which takes a long time to do. It's incredibly effective when you can do it right, but it takes a long time to do. And they forget about paying the bills. And you have the other bucket of agents who only focus on short-term, only focus on those things, and don't invest in those larger things at scale. There's a reason why, Bill, the top 500, you know, Fortune 500, 500 companies all have brands. Because if you're going to stand out in a crowded market, the only thing you're going to have to do to be able to establish your your authority and to attract customers is to have a brand. And if you if you're confused by that, you you, you don't have a business. You are an employee of your business. So my advice for new agents is quite simply. You've got to do whatever it takes to generate revenue, and you're going to use that revenue to make long-term investments to the growth of your company. And if you can be, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, patiently urgent, where you're doing whatever it takes to drive revenue, but you're taking that revenue and you're turning that into creating great content, advertising on Facebook, building up your pipeline, starting a YouTube series, starting a podcast like Bill, you know, sending out emails, doing all the, the, the right stuff the right way. If you can do that, then what's going to happen is you're going to build a moat around your business where you will begin to attract so you don't have to chase. But if you do not lead with revenue, you're going to run out of oxygen and the business is going to fail, Bill. Jimmy, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you guys can find me online at Jimmy Mackin on Twitter for the five agents who are listening to this podcast who are still left on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, you know, we've been stepping up our Instagram game as of late. We know Instagram's entering into the golden era of social media. So you guys can follow me on Instagram. And of course, you can uh, check me out at curator.com on our website. And as Bill mentioned a little earlier, we do do a live podcast every Wednesday at 1 p.m on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash curator.com. You can see me, my partner, Chris Smith, uh, putting on a show. And like Bill here, uh, we try to provide a lot of value and try to kind of give you guys a sense of what you guys can be doing to help grow your business. Jimmy, thank you so much for your time today. I took way too long to get you on the show, but uh, it was well worth the wait. I mean, this was uh, fantastic information and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be sharing this to uh, to, to either their broker to their partners, to other realtors they know, because you 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 unloaded a lot of great information. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate being on, Bill. And, and one last thing for all, all of you fans out there of Bill's podcast, you know, be sure to, to when you listen to this to, to help Bill spread the word. I can tell you right now, there are not many people doing what Bill is doing right now in the podcasting space. Uh, it, it's you know, we're recording this on a on a Friday at five o'clock in the afternoon, and I promise you that uh, there are very few real estate agents and very few people in our space who are uh, putting out valuable content. I listen to the podcast. I've listened to previous guests on your show, Bill, and uh, you should be commended for your work and you know helping uh, spread the good word about how to grow the business the right way. So I appreciate you having me on. I'm glad to be guest number 182. And if you need help finding that special guest for number 200, let me know. I'm happy to do it.